So for the last few weeks, if you're just joining us for the series, we've been having a conversation around what I think is a really, really interesting question. It's this idea that if you didn't know anything about faith, where would you start? If you didn't know anything about faith, this is hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Because whether you're a follower of Jesus or a church person or not, you know, we've all grown up in a culture where you, you hear things about faith, you know things about faith, so this is next to impossible for us to imagine. But just imagine with me for a minute, if you didn't know anything, if you could somehow reboot your brain and wipe everything clean and start fresh. I mean, you knew nothing. Where would you start? What, what would you read? Who would you talk to? Who would you listen to? Who would you, whose authority or whose influence or, you know, where, who would you give weight to their words? Um, what would you check out? How would you, how would you view faith? differently. How might the way you view faith today be different if you started all over as an adult? Now, I think this is a really important question and, and exercise to process through, and the reason's because um, wherever you start, your starting point of faith, and all of us had a starting point for our ideas about faith, your starting point of faith puts you on a road. You didn't even realize it. You didn't think of it this way. We don't use this terminology, but it puts you on a road, and that road has taken you to a very predictable destination. In other words, you understand or view faith the way you view faith today because of where you started and the direction you began. That direction took you where you are today, and for most of us, isn't it true? For most of us, that starting point, we first got on that road when we were kids. It was you know, we went to a church or we went to a temple or went to a Christian school or, you know, mosque, like whatever your religious tradition was, you, you went somewhere and you were told, well, you should believe that and you should believe that and you should believe that and this is what's true and this is what's right. And, you know, we were kind of given a framework of faith and we just assumed that that framework of faith was accurate and we assumed that that framework of faith was complete. And then we got older and we began to have some experiences as adults. This is true for all of us, isn't it? Some experiences as adults where our framework of faith or the things we've been taught didn't exactly add up. There were gaps. There were discrepancies. There were some doubts that began to develop. We were like, well, I was taught that this is always true, but that's not what's happening here. I was taught that never happened to people like that, and now it's happening. You know, there were, there were some things that just didn't make sense. It just didn't align. And so what all of us do when we hit those points, what all of us do, is we go to people that we trust and we say, hey, explain this to me, explain this to me. And what, what you were trying to do when you did that, and you didn't, again, think of it this way, but what you were trying to do when you did that is you were, in essence, trying to create a new adult starting point for your faith. You realized at that point, wait a minute, what I have been told, my framework here, is either not accurate or it's just not complete. It's not accurate or it's not complete. And so you were trying to get more information and you were trying to find answers. You were, in essence, trying to have an adult starting point of faith at that moment. And unfortunately, what we're often told in those moments is what we were told as kids. Well, you just need to believe and you just need to have more faith. And what the Bible says and the Bible says and the Bible says. And that's all fine, but it's just not complete. It's just not complete. Well, you know, how it's explained to us when we're five or eight or ten. You can't completely explain something to us at that age. 
But there's more to it. It's not in-depth enough. And unfortunately for a lot of us, we've grown up with a faith that still has the completeness or the depth of a, of a child's faith. It still has the completeness or the depth of that explanation you got when you were a kid. And nobody has given you, in essence, the rest of the story. And so what we're trying to do through, through this series is simply this. We're just imagining, okay, because I've, I've found that most of us need this. You may be the exception, but most of us need a new adult starting point for faith. So we're trying to say, okay, if we were starting all over and if we were figuring this out, what's the complete picture look like? What's it look like if you were to dig in and discover in depth what it means to follow God or what it means to follow Jesus? And that is the journey that we're on. So if you missed any of that, you can find all the messages on our app or at our website, and you can catch up. Today, I want to pick up where we left off the discussion last week, because I think this is, this is going to be true for pretty much all of us. The topic or the issue that we're going to talk about today is one that, in my opinion, from all that I've observed, I've grown up in church, I've been around it my entire life, I think this is one of the most misunderstood, this is one of the most inaccurately portrayed issues in all of religion, in all of religion. This issue, I think, has caused more problems, more people to trip, more people to stumble, more people to walk away, more people to kind of disengage than probably any other issue out there when it comes to religion. It's the role of, the role of rules, the role of rules. Now, here's the thing. Every single religion has rules. Have you noticed that? Every religion has rules, and every religion has a rule maker. Here's the problem. You're not ever the rule maker. Have you noticed that? Neither am I. Like, why don't we ever get to make the rules? We should start our own religion. That would, that would enable us to do it, you know? In essence, some of us have basically done this because you know, what, when, you know what's happening when you say, I don't really like all those rules, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ignore those, and I'm going to assume those don't apply anymore, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of create my own little list here. In essence, you're creating your own religion. what you're doing. You're, you've decided, I don't want to miss out on all the fun. I'll be a rule maker too, so you kind of make up your own deal. We all have a tendency to do this, and one of the reasons is because all of us resist rules. All of us resist rules. And part of the reason when it comes to religion that we tend to resist the rules or want to reshape things or change things, you know, make things up for our own, is because of this idea that most religious rules run contrary to our natural tendencies. Isn't that true? Now think about it growing up. All the things you were told thou shalt not were things you wanted to do for the most part, weren't they? And all the well, thou shalts were things you really didn't want to do. And if it was something fun, you just knew it was off the table immediately. It was definitely forbidden if it was fun. Like most everything that we're taught when we, you pick any religion, most everything we're taught in terms of rules when you step into a religion are things that run contrary to what we naturally want to do. Now, here's what I find interesting. And this, is, this applies across the board. You pick any religion in the history of the world, and this is going to be true. No religion has the same rules. You notice this? Isn't this kind of odd? No religion has the same rules. Now, you know, I grew up Christian, so I'm going to pick on us for a minute. This is true for other religions, but I don't know enough about them. So here's what I know. This is even true for people who call themselves Christians. Like, under the Christian umbrella, we can't even agree on the same rules. Under the Christian umbrella, you have Catholics who have one set of rules, and then you have Protestants that have a different set of rules. And if you, you know, check out the Catholic side very much, you find that there are all these different variations under the Catholic side. Like, all Catholics can't even agree on what the rules are they should follow. And then you get over on the Protestant side, and it's even worse. I mean, it's ridiculous over here. You, you've got hundreds of variations on the Protestant side. I grew up Baptist. Baptists had their own set of rules. And you know what some of them are. You didn't even have to grow up Baptist. You just know, right? Well, yeah, Baptists believe, Baptists believe, Baptists believe. Presbyterians, own set of rules. 
Christian church, own set of rules. Church of Christ, own set of rules. I could go on and on. Methodist, oh, good grief. If you grew up Methodist, man, were we ever jealous of you. Y'all didn't have enough rules. Good golly. You Methodists, y'all got to drink and dance. I mean, are you kidding me? And then you didn't even get dunked when you got baptized. They just sprinkled a little water on you. You didn't even have to clean up afterwards. I mean, it was way too easy if you were Methodist. We Baptists had no respect for you whatsoever. I mean, everybody's got their, everybody's got their own rules, but nobody can agree on the same set of rules. That makes it a bit confusing, doesn't it? Here, Listen, I grew up, maybe you can relate to this, I don't know. If not, this is going to be shocking information for you. I was actually talking, sharing this story with a guy I met from Boston not too long ago. And when I started to tell him this story, he, he just froze. He said, you're making this up. He didn't believe me. I was like, no, he had never experienced this before. I grew up around some really, really weird Christians. Now, we, we weren't weird, at least we didn't think we were, but we knew some people. There were some people who lived around us. There were some people we went to school with who were really weird Christians. For example, there was this one group of Christians. They had, they had some of the most unusual, I would just honestly call them crazy rules that you could, that you could possibly imagine. Like they, they literally had rules. They believed and taught. It was a sin if a guy's hair touched his ears. It was a sin if a woman wore pants. It was a sin if a man wore shorts. That was a sin. And the best one of all was it was a sin if you read anything other than the King James Version of the Bible. I never got that one. I'm like, you mean to tell me I'm reading my Bible over here and you think I'm sinning? They're like, yep, yep. I mean, it was so nuts. It was so nuts. But what was crazy about it was there was a different group of people, a different group of people I also knew, and that group of people had rules that were even crazier than this group of people. This group of people had rules like you couldn't, you couldn't go date somebody unless you first got permission from the pastor. Can you imagine? My daughter's going to have that rule, but none of the rest of you have to follow that one, right? Like, that one it applies to her. Don't tell her differently. But the rest of you, you're like, no, I'm not calling Matt up to see if, you know, my son or my daughter can go out with so-and-so or I can go out with so-and-so. I mean, it's ridiculous. But this, this is the kind of stuff. And this group right over here looked at this group over here. They were both crazy. This one looked at this one and said, um, and said you guys are hypocrites because you don't have big enough rules. And this one looked at this one and said, y'all are hypocrites because you don't have enough rules. I mean, it was the nuttiest thing. This is what Christians do. And I'm almost done with my therapy. I'm not quite there yet. But I mean... I grew up in the middle of this, you know, just craziness, watching these Christians who did this. And it, I just remember thinking, this is so funny. This is so funny. Everybody thinks they have the right set of rules. Nobody can agree on the same set of rules. And I'm standing back here thinking, you're all nuts. You're all nuts. You're all nuts. And one of the things that I noticed, and you'll be able to relate to this, this is true. It doesn't matter what religion you pick or what religion you were around, what set of rules you tried to follow. The truth is, none of us can keep all the rules, can we? This is what I noticed. No matter what set of rules you, you, you know, adopted, nobody was able to keep all the rules. So everybody felt guilty. Everybody felt like they didn't measure up. It caused some of you to drift away because you grew up in a religious environment that said, whoa, 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 here are all the rules. And, you know, if you don't keep them, you're not in good standing with God. And so you just gave up. Some of you kept trying. You kept trying. You kept trying. You're still trying. You've never felt good about yourself, but you keep trying. You're doing your best, you know. It was just toxic environments for some of you. And you finally just walked away and said, I'm done with that. And that's exactly what you should have done. It's exactly what you should have done. But you felt like, and understandably so, you felt like you were walking away from God and religion and faith because that was the only, the only framework that had ever been presented to you. And you assumed it was accurate and complete because you trusted the people who told you. And you walked away and you thought, well, I'm just not going to be a person of faith because I don't want anything to do with that anymore. This is true for all of us. And so this is what makes it a little complicated. 
Because we get to this point and we start to talk about the role of rules. And all of us have a tendency to resist. And all of us immediately think about the rules we grew up with or the religious environment we grew up around or, you know, the experiences that we've had. And a lot of times it was toxic or wrong or hurtful or, you know, disappointing in some way. And so we immediately go, oh, my gosh, this is what I don't like. I mean, this is the part about following Jesus. Or this is why I check out or this is why I disengage or this is why I'd rather just stay where I am, and, okay, I want enough to get me to heaven one day, but I don't want to really get engaged because we don't want to deal with rules. And then you hear me talk about what I talked about last week. If you were here last week, you know, we talked about Abraham and how God said, no, 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 it's not about behavior. It's not about behavior, and it's it's not about belief. It's not about birth. This is about simple trust. And you thought, even though you don't like the rules, you thought, yeah, but what about all the rules? Even though you don't like being forced to feel like you have to fit in a box and behave a certain way to earn something from God, you thought, whoa, whoa, but what about all the behaviors? Like, there are all kinds of behaviors in the Bible, and there seem to be, I've been told there are all kinds of rules in the Bible. So what do you do with all of those? That is what I want us to talk about for a few minutes today. And for many of you, this is going to be brand new information. For a lot of you who spent your entire life in church, you have never had this explained to you. And it may even be disturbing for some of you. That's okay. I just want you to wrestle with it. Even if you don't agree with me, just wrestle with it and process it and think about it and explore it for a little while. So let's just back up and start at a 30,000-foot view, okay? Here's the first thing we all have to understand, and we know this. Rules always assume some kind of relationship. This is true, right? No one can place a rule on you unless they have some kind of relationship with you. We have rules in our nation, but... You have a relationship with our nation. You're an American, so am I. There are rules at work, but you have a relationship there. If you're in a fraternity or sorority, there are rules, but you have a relationship there. Like country clubs, I mean, you name it. Rules, the fact that rules are being applied to you assumes that you have some kind of relationship with the person or with the group who is imposing some rules. Now, this is also true when you open up the scriptures and you begin to read what feel like rules to you that God has given us. The rules assume some kind of relationship. So this is just true in general. It's true for all, you know, all things, all organizations. Now, here's what's so key to understand about this. The nature of the relationship determines how you relate to the rules. The nature of the relationship that you have with the rule maker or the rule giver determines how you view the rules. Now, there are at least, at least three different types of relationships or three different relational models, if you will, that all apply rules. And so I want to give them to you in just a minute. And this is, not, this is not religious in any nature. This just applies across the board, okay? I think we'll all be able to understand this because we've all experienced probably at least two, and some of you have experienced all three of these. So here's the first model. It's what I call the family model. All right, in the family model, relationship always precedes rules, Now, think about when you grew up as a kid in your family, okay? You had a relationship with your family. You were a part of the family before any rules were placed on you by the family. Isn't that true? And even if you broke a rule, you didn't get kicked out of the family. You still had the relationship. Your daddy wanted to kick you out sometimes, but he never did, did he? Because you had the relationship preceded the rules. The relationship was not dependent on the rules. This is how it works in all families. Now, think about your family or if, think about a healthy family, okay? In a, in a healthy family situation, what is the point of rules? The point of rules is not to control. The point of rules is to grow. The point of rules in a healthy family is never to punish. It's actually to protect. 
The point of rules is not to break your spirit. It's to actually build some things in you. In other words, and if you're a parent, here's a great parenting tip. The best parents never place rules on their kids to try to control them. The best parents never place rules on their kids to try to keep them in a certain behavioral box and make sure that they do just what they're supposed to do. No, the best parents use rules as a teaching tool. I'll give you an example. When you grew up, you had some rules that you had to follow at your house. Rules like you have to be home by this certain time or, you know, it's your job to take the trash out or it's your job to do the dishes. Like there were certain rules in your family. You don't ever be disrespectful to your mom, you know, whatever those rules are. You don't lie to us. There were some rules in your family. And if you were in a really, really good, healthy situation with great parents, the reason they gave you those rules was not just to try to modify your behavior. They gave you those rules as a way to teach you, to teach you how to develop certain behaviors, certain character qualities, certain good habits. In other words, it wasn't just about getting your conformity in a moment. It was about teaching you hard work. That's why you took the, you, you know, it was your job to take the trash out every week because they were trying to teach you responsibility and hard work. You had to be home at a certain time. They were trying to teach you respect and responsibility. Like they were trying to develop in you some character qualities and some habits you didn't yet have. And so they used some rules as a way to protect you from danger you didn't see out there, but more importantly, to develop some qualities in you. And you eventually, and think about this, you eventually outgrew the rules, didn't you? But you never outgrew the family. You had a relationship before the rules were ever given to you with your mom and dad. And when you broke the rules, they didn't kick you out of the family, and you eventually outgrew those rules, but you still had a relationship with your parents. As a matter of fact, if things went really well, as you started to get older, you had less and less rules, not more and more rules. Because if things went well and you developed the kind of character and the kind of habits you should have developed, you didn't need the rules anymore. You didn't need to be told you have to take the trash out every week. You just did it because you loved your family and you wanted to contribute. You didn't have to be told, be home by this time and call us and let us know where you are because you just respected and loved your parents enough you were going to do that. That's the way it works in a healthy situation. Okay, The relationship precedes the rules. You, you eventually outgrow the rules. You never outgrow the relationship. And the point of the rules is to develop you and to help you grow. It's to build you up. It's not to break you down or to modify your behavior. Now, here's the other thing about the family model real quickly, and then I'll move on. The other thing that's true about this model is you can only place rules on your own children. Isn't that true? You have some kids in your neighborhood you wish you could give some rules to. But you don't. You don't as much as you want to. You don't walk over to their backyard and say, young lady, you need to get inside and get your homework done right now because that's not your daughter. You would like to tell her a thing or two every now and then, but you don't because she has her own parents and it's her job or their job to do something with their daughter. You can only give rules and you can only enforce rules with your own kids. Nobody else. Okay, that's the family model. There's a second type of model when it comes to rules and relationships. It's what I call the work model. Okay, the work model. Now, We'll all understand this one. In the work model, it's exactly the opposite of the family model. In the work model, the rules precede the relationship. The rules come before the relationship. You have to agree to the rules in order to establish a relationship. When you went to your first job, they set you down, they interviewed you, and before they hired you or right as they hired you, they gave you, in all probability, in most of the places where you work, they gave you a policy manual, didn't they? riveting reading, riveting reading. They said, you go home and you read this and you come back and you got a sign that you've read it and you agree 
to all of our rules. So what are they doing? They're saying in order for us to have a relationship here, you've got to agree to the rules on the front end. And in the work model, if you break the rules enough, you're out. If you break the rules enough, you're out. Eventually, they're going to say, you can't work here anymore because the relationship you have with your employer is based on how well you keep the rules. Now, the same thing's true if you're in a fraternity or a sorority. It works the same way. The same thing's true if, you, you know, if you're a country club member. It works the same way. The same thing's quite honestly true for those of you who are in school. It's the same way. There are certain rules. You have to adhere to the rules if you want to keep the relationship with the school. Now, those are the two models that all of us get. Some of you have experienced this third model, and I want to throw this in because I think it's important. Some of you, if you're not married, you haven't experienced this yet, but you've observed it from afar and thought, how strange, how strange, how strange. It's what I call the in-laws model, okay? In-laws model. Here's how the in-laws model works. You have no clue what the rules are. You're just pretty sure you're breaking some of them. They're not going to tell you what the rules are, but it becomes pretty obvious to you. It's so confusing. You're like, I don't even know what they expect of me. I just, I'm pretty sure they're disappointed. I'm not sure what I'm breaking. I'm pretty sure I'm not doing something I'm supposed to be doing by the way they're treating me. Like it's, and the way you pick up on that, the way you pick up on that is because at Christmas, you looked around and you noticed they gave him an Apple TV and him an Apple TV and him an Apple TV and I got a pair of underwear. Hmm. I wonder if maybe I've broken a rule somewhere. But again, nobody says anything about it in the in-law model, right? If you're married, you get this. I'm sure you got great in-laws. But this is the way, this is the way it often works. Like nobody's going to tell you. Nobody's going to say anything. Everybody's invited to vacation but you. Everybody's invited out to dinner, and they look at you and say, can you just stay home and keep all the kids? And you're like, okay. I, I know I'm not in the inner circle. I've done something I wasn't supposed to do. I just don't know what. In the in-law model, this is what's interesting. In the in-law model, they can't kick you out of the family, they can just make you feel like you wish you were out. They can't kick you out. You just wish. Because, oh, my gosh. You know, I just, it's just it's a weird, confusing deal. Now, we all understand the way this works. Okay? We've all experienced most of these, if not all of these. But the question becomes, which one is true when it comes to our relationship with God? Which one is true when it comes to the rules that God gives us? Which model applies? Is it the family model? Like, should I view the rules that God gives as, oh my gosh, I've already got a relationship and I'm in no matter what, and these rules are just to help me grow, and you know, eventually I'll outgrow the rules. I won't even need them because I'll, just, I'll understand and I'll get it and I'll just do this on my own. And if I break a rule, I'm still in. It's not a big deal. I mean, that's an option. Is it? No, no, no. You got to keep the rules if you're going to have the relationship you got to agree to these rules, and if you break enough rules, and if you're bad enough, and if you step outside the box enough times, the relationship's over. Or is it this model where it's kind of like, okay, I don't even know what all the rules are. I'm not even sure what I did wrong. I'm just pretty sure God's not happy with me. I don't know what I did. I just know I did something. And it's confusing, and I'm, I guess he's, you know, he's got to keep me as part of his family, but I'm not sure he really wants me to be part of his family. What's the answer there? Now, here's why I think this is so important, because I asked you a question last week. Well, where do you stand with God? How do you figure out where you stand with God? And part of the way you answer that question is based on which of these models you think is true when it comes to the relationship between you and God and between you and God's rules. And if you answer it wrong, if you think it's the wrong kind of model, you will never have peace in terms of where you stand with God. So how do you figure this out? Well, interestingly enough, 
The way to figure out which one of these models applies is you go all the way back to the oldest and the most famous set of rules in history. They were given in 1446 B.C. We all have heard of them, whether you're a Christian or not, we all have heard of them. Matter of fact, all three major religions embrace these set of rules. We all know them as the Ten Commandments. They seem to be a really big deal, don't they? Everybody knows what the Ten, you know, has heard of the Ten Commandments, and you ask people, do you try to live by the Ten Commandments? If I ask you, you'd probably say, well, yeah, I try to live by the Ten Commandments, but here's what, as a pastor, here's what I find funny about it. Two things. Number one, if I said to you, you try to live by the Ten Commandments, you'd say, absolutely, and I'd say, name them all. <clears throat> and you'd start, and some of you'd get about three. Some of you are overachievers. You'd get six, seven, eight. I bet hardly anybody, I, I, ne- I hardly ever meet anybody who can name all 10 of the Ten Commandments. I'm like, okay, dude, let's, let's not say we're trying to live by them. We don't even know what they are, you know? But that's just, that's just the way it is. None of us really know what they are. We just know they're a big deal, and we should follow them. The other thing I, I love to ask is, well, where are the Ten Commandments? To which the most common answer is, in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, I know. Where in the Bible? Uh, in the front half. That's usually what I hear. In the front half, Okay. Here's where they are. If you don't walk out of here with anything else today, I just want you to know where the Ten Commandments are. And I hope, I'm not going to read them all to you today, okay? I hope to intrigue you enough, you'll at least go home and open up a Bible or open up a you know, Bible app on your phone and you will just read the Ten Commandments, okay? They're worth at least reading through and knowing. So all ten of them are found in Exodus chapter 20. If you don't remember anything else today, just remember that. They're found in Exodus chapter 20. You with me? Exodus chapter 20. Everybody want to say that together? Exodus, <laughs> okay, that didn't sound real convincing, but we're going to we'll quiz you on the way out today. Exodus chapter 20, and here's the backstory. Here's the backstory that you need to understand. There is a specific reason why God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses to take and to share with the people of Israel. It was because they had just left, been freed from, delivered from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Now, you've heard a little bit of the story, but pause and think about the implications of that. For 400 years, the people, the Jewish people, the people who were descendants of Abraham, they had not had any freedom 400 years. Suddenly, they experienced freedom. Moses leads them out. And they have to figure out how do we function and survive as a group of people. How do we function and survive? There are probably about 2 million of them as a nation. How do we function and survive as a free society? What's it look like to live free? Now, we just take this for granted. But if you had not experienced a taste of freedom in 400 years, if you had every, you know, your every move and what you could do and couldn't do, it had all been commanded to you by someone else, then it would be a confusing, in some ways complicated process to figure out how to live now that you're free. What should you do? What shouldn't you do? How should you relate to people? How should you not relate to people? So into that issue into that tension, God steps and he says, okay, I'm going to give you not just the Ten Commandments. If you keep reading Exodus 20, he gives them a lot of commandments, a whole lot of rules, a whole lot of laws. But those rules and laws were designed to help them understand how to relate to one another and how to operate as a free nation, as a free society, and as a free culture. He said, I got to give you some parameters. I got to give you some boundaries. I got to give you some direction on how to do this, or you will self implode. That was the impetus. That was the catalyst behind God giving the Ten Commandments. But before he ever gave the first one, he wanted to make it crystal clear to them about where they stood with him and where he stood with them. So I'm going to start at the beginning of Exodus 20. 
I'm going to read you. I'm not going to read you all the Ten Commandments. Again, I hope you'll go home and read this for yourself. Okay? hope it, this will be interesting enough. You just want to go back and review them. But I want you to notice how it all begins. In Exodus 20 and verse 1, Moses writes, And God spoke all these words. Now, he's speaking to the people of Israel, okay, to the Jewish people. I am the Lord your God. In other words, well, before I get to any rules, I just want to make it clear to you guys that this is personal to me. God's saying, before I give you any rules, there'd never been a rule given up to this point, okay? He hadn't given them any laws. Before I give you any laws or any rules, I just want you to know, you and I, we already have a relationship in my eyes. I am not a God. I am your God. Not only that, I'm your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So in other words, God says, I just want to remind you, I have already done something for you, even though you have not ever done anything for me. I've already done something for you. I just delivered you out of Egypt when you hadn't even had a chance to do anything for me. So these rules, they're not about earning your way into getting me to do something for you. I've already done something for you before you had any rules. This is about my relationship with you. It precedes all the rules. And we have a relationship, going back to what we talked about last week. God is saying we have a relationship based on trust. Now, if you were with us last week, you remember there was a single act of trust that Abraham demonstrated. And God said, that act of trust is all I need. We have a relationship. And he said, I'm going to have a relationship, Abraham, with your descendants, with what became the nation of Israel. I'm going to have a relationship with that nation that's special forever because of the act of trust you just demonstrated. Now he's looking at these people, you know, two million of them coming out of Egypt. And he's saying, okay, I already have a relationship with you collectively because of Abraham's act of trust. But I have a relationship with you personally because of an act of trust you just demonstrated. And if you go back and you read, you discover that at the end of all the plagues that convinced the Egyptians to let the Israelites go, right before the final plague, God asked the Israelites to do something as an act of trust. He asked them to place a mark above their doorpost and to stay in their house one night. And if they would trust him enough to do that, even when they weren't sure why, that he would deliver them. And sure enough, it happened. So God's going, I've got a, collectively, I've got a relationship with you, but, but you chose to demonstrate a single act of trust in me by putting that mark over that door. So I've got a personal relationship with you as well. Before you can do anything for me, before you can follow any rules, I just want you to know, we already have a relationship. And then he begins to give them the rules. This is the very first one. He says, you shall have no other gods besides me. To which, if you put yourself in their shoes, they are, they are hearing this and they're going, are you kidding me? That, like, that's the one we got to follow? That one's easy. Are you kidding me? You're the only God who's delivered us out of slavery. You're the, you just not only delivered us out of slavery, you delivered us from the most powerful army in the world at that, po- at that point, the Egyptian army. You delivered us from Pharaoh. You parted the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? Like, we're not going to have any problem following that one. You've been doing things for us that we just can't believe. So, yeah, we're not planning on picking any other gods. Like, you're ours. He says, okay, you should have no other gods before me. Now, interestingly enough, later on, as the relationship went on, when God began not to do everything they wanted him to do when they wanted him to do it, guess what they did? They started looking, trying to find some other gods who would give them what they wanted. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But this was where it started. And then God goes on to give them nine more commandments. I'm not going to read them to you, but here's what I want you to look for if you'll go home and read them for yourself. I want you to look for the fact that all ten of the commandments are relationship-based. 
All ten of them. All ten of them assume a relationship, and all ten of them are based on strengthening or restoring or valuing a relationship. The first four commandments are all about our relationship with God. The next six are all about our relationship with one another. But they are all relationship-based. Now, here's what God was trying to communicate to them. And here's what we so often have missed. But if you begin to understand this, it will change the way you view what you consider to be rules in the Bible. The Ten Commandments were a confirmation and not a condition of their relationship with God. This is so important. The Ten Commandments were a confirmation of their relationship with God. They weren't a condition of it. In other words, God gave the Ten Commandments, but in the way he gave the Ten Commandments, he did it in such a way to make it crystal clear to them and to us. I operate on the family model. I don't operate on the work model. I don't operate on the in-laws model. My relationship with you precedes the rules. And my relationship with you supersedes the rules. If you break the rules, we still have a relationship. That the fact I'm giving you rules is confirmation. You're a part of my family. And there's a relationship between us. See, this is how it works in my family. In the Johnson family, we have certain rules. I bet you have rules in your family too. Your rules in your family are different than my rules in my family. But there are certain things, and we tell our kids this. Johnson's never, Johnson's never, Johnson's always, Johnson's always. There are certain rules. Okay, there are certain things, there are certain traits. You know, Johnson's never quit, Johnson's, you know, da-da-da. We talk about these things. We have two rules in our family, really just two rules. There are two things that we say, okay, Johnson's never do this, okay, da-da-da. So we, we talk about all that in our family. You've got your own rules. As a matter of fact, you might look at mine and say, oh, those are dumb rules. Like, we would never do that in our family. That's fine. Because in your family, you get to pick your own rules. In our family, we get to pick ours. But I do not give rules to my kids in order to keep them from embarrassing me. Now, think about this. I'm not giving rules to my kids to say, oh, my gosh, kids, here are all the rules. I'm going to give them all to you because if you ever did any of these things, it would be mortifying. I'd be so embarrassed to be your dad. That's not why I give my kids rules. I don't give my kids rules so they'll meet some expectation. I don't give my kids rules because I say, listen, listen, if you're going to be my kid, then you've got to operate this way and you've got to live this way and you've got to make sure you do these things and don't do these things. I've never once sat down with my kids and said, okay, listen, listen. You know that you know your daddy's a pastor, so there's certain things because you're a preacher's kid. You can't, you know, you can't. You got to always. No, no, because it doesn't matter to me. I don't care what you think about my kids. You can think whatever you want about my kids. You, you're wrong. You can think whatever you want about my kids, right? I mean, that's how you feel, isn't it? It's like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to parent my kids based on what somebody else is view, thinking about me or viewing me. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Why do I give my kids rules? Because there are certain qualities, there are certain habits, there are certain character traits that I think are crucial for them to have in life. And so Jen and I have sat down and said, okay, let's develop some rules around this. Let's develop some beliefs and some expectations around this to help our kids develop the qualities they're going to need to succeed in life. It's not about messing up. It's not about being a perfect kid. Our goal is not to raise perfect kids. It's to raise adults who know how to do life well. And so that means they're going to make some mistakes. Well, that's okay. The point is to help them grow and to develop. The same thing is true when it comes to God. When you look at what you consider to be rules in Scripture, here's what you have to understand. God gave you those rules. God gave you those rules not to make you meet some expectation of his. Not to keep you from embarrassing him. Oh, my gosh, you claim to follow Jesus and you did that. No, no, no. 
God gives you and gives me the rules he gives us to help us develop and to help us grow. His goal is not for us to be perfect kids. His goal is for us to grow up to be responsible, mature adults. That's the whole point. The Ten Commandments, they were confirmation of this relationship. It was like God saying, okay, you just came out of slavery. You're at, you're at ground level, but I'm going to start with you here, and I'm going to give you some rules. And the older you get and the better you, you know, grow and the more that you develop, the less rules are going to be needed. But I want to use these rules to help you develop some habits you'll need to be who I created you to be. That's the point of any rule you find that God has given But you cannot forget, you cannot forget this simple idea that with God, relationship precedes rules, always. Relationship precedes rules, always. The rules, listen, the rules are actually evidence of God's love for you. The rules are actually evidence. They invite you to be a part of his family. The rules are evidence that he loves you and he's for you. They're not to control you. They're to grow you. They're not to try to break your spirit. They're to try to build you up. And this is how God is always related to people. When you go to what the Old Testament, you know, what we call the Old Testament, it's the Jewish scriptures. When you go and you read about God's relationship with the people of Israel, you know what it reads like? It reads like a parent with kids. They would get it right, and they would do well, and they would develop and grow, and then they would screw it up, and they would screw it up, and they would start rebelling, and they would you know, not cooperate, and God would have to put some more rules in place. And eventually, you know, they wouldn't listen, they wouldn't listen, and you know what he did? Go read the Old Testament prophets for yourself. You know what God did every time they rebelled against the rules? He would look down at them like any parent, and he would say, one, two, three, you're in timeout. That's what he'd do. One, two, three, you're in timeout in Babylon for 70 years. Y'all got to figure this out. One, two, three, nope, you're going to be, you know, under the rule of the Assyrians or the Egyptians. You got to figure this out. But it was never to punish. It was always to protect. It was always to develop. It was always to grow. And then you get to the New Testament. This is what's interesting. Then you get to the New Testament. Jesus shows up. And he says to these Jewish people, you know all the rules? You know all the rules you've got? And they're like, yeah, we've got at that point 613 rules. He says, okay. I didn't come to abolish all those rules. I came to fulfill them all. I'm wrapping them all up. If all those rules and the way you've related to God, if they were a plane, I'm landing it. I'm I'm putting an end to it. I'm putting the bow on it. I'm tying it up and locking the door. It's all done. It's all done. I'm going to simplify this for you. You don't need 613 rules anymore. You just need two. And it's really one, but I'm going to say it two ways because you'll miss it if I don't. You need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Can you follow those two? That's it. That's it. That's all the rules you need. That's at the heart of everything. This is what God's trying to teach you. This is what he wants to help you do. He just wants you to love him with all your heart, and he wants you to love other people like yourself. Because if you do those two things, you're going to live the life he designed you to live. And everything else you read in the New Testament, everything else that when you read it, it's like that feels like a rule. No, no, no. That's just a tool. That's a tool that God's using to teach you how to love God and to love people. And guess what happens? The more you follow the rules, okay, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to, okay, I could easily just not tell the whole truth there, but I'm going to go ahead and tell the whole truth. I could easily cheat a little bit there. I'm not going to cheat. I could easily gossip here. I'm not going to gossip. I could easily hold a grudge and be bitter here. I'm not going to hold a grudge and be bitter. Like, there are rules against all that stuff, right? 
And the longer you follow the rules, guess what happens? The better you get at loving. And that's the whole point. The better you get at loving God and the better you get at loving people. And eventually, you know what happens? As your heart develops and becomes more like God, you outgrow the rules. And what I mean by that is you don't need them anymore. You don't need somebody coming to you and saying, no, no, Paul wrote, you should never. Paul wrote, you must always. You don't need that anymore because you've just become a loving person. You just do it because that's who you are. And God says, that's been my point. But when you mess it up, you're not out of the family. When you mess it up, we just fix it and get back on the right track. Because this is a family model. With God, relationship always precedes rules. And those rules are just evidence that he loves us. So, John, the same John who followed Jesus for three years, the same John who was at the cross and as Jesus is dying, he looks at John and says, hey, would you take care of my mom? That John, once Jesus left this earth, he wrote an account of Jesus' life. And he's trying to explain and help these people understand how Jesus taught he wants to relate to us. And here's how in the very first chapter of John's account, He explains it. Early on in this account as he's writing, he says these words. Yet to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Nothing about rules. Nothing about rules. John said it wasn't about rules with Jesus. It was about are you willing to believe in? As we talked about last week, this means are you willing to trust in? It's not just believe that Jesus exists, but are you actually willing to trust in him enough to do what he says, to trust in him enough to act and to move, to trust in him enough to put your whole hope, faith, and confidence in him to bring you into God's family? John says, if you're willing to put that kind of trust, I've got good news for you. With God, relationship precedes rules. And it's true for all people. It's true for church people and not church people. It's true for people who grew up following all the rules and they feel like they've lived a really moral life. And it's true for people who rebelled against all the rules and they've done the exact opposite. It doesn't matter. For all of them, relationship precedes rules. You don't earn your way into a relationship with God by following the rules well. You become a son or a daughter of God through trust. Through trust. Through trust. So, I want to give you some homework. Okay? And this is one of those questions that you're going to have a tendency, if you're sitting in your small group or your starting point group, or if you're not in a group, you should talk about this with some family or friends. You're going to have a tendency when you discuss this, especially if you grew up in church, to try to answer this question theologically. By that I mean, well, I know because I was taught and this is the belief. I don't want you to do that. I want you to answer this question emotionally. In other words, I want you to answer this question based on how it feels to you, how it has felt to you as you have grown up and processed the relationship you have with God and his rules. Here's the question. Growing up, did you feel like religion was based on the family model, the work model, or the in-laws model? Growing up, did you feel like religion, how you related to God, was based on the family model? Oh, I got a relationship with him, and I, if I, I'll mess up sometimes, but it doesn't change the relationship. The work model, i got to get these rules good enough that God's going to accept me and we're going to have a relationship, and if I mess it up too much, I'm out. Or the in-laws model, I have no clue where I stand with God. I'm so confused. I just never feel like I quite measure up, but I don't know why. You need to process this and talk about it. Let me give you a little help, okay? Here's one way you know that you view things like the family model. If you view things like the family model, when you sin... 
When you break a rule, when you step out of bounds, you know what you do? You run back to God quickly. If you view things like the family model, then every time you sin, you come right back to God and you say, hey, I messed that up, but you have no doubts about how he's going to respond to you. If you view it like the work model, then you hide. Whenever you sin, you try to hide. Because you're afraid if God sees it, it's going to be too much, and I'm not going to have the relationship anymore. If you view it like the in-laws model, you're constantly anxious and afraid. I'm afraid that this was the one. I'm afraid that was the one. I'm afraid I haven't done enough. I don't know where I stand with God. You need to process through this, and here's why. Because this will shape how you view your relationship with God. This will shape how you relate to him. And this will shape whether you ever have confidence in terms of where you stand with God. And for some of you, it's going to shape whether you ever choose to follow him or re-engage with him or not. It's going to choose whether you try to keep him at arm's length like you have been or whether you're willing and you trust him enough to surrender everything to him. Which of these do you tend to lean towards? Next week, we'll pick the conversation up right here. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for making it so clear that your a relationship with you and your relationship with us, it precedes any rules. Thank you that you give rules to those of us who are your kids, and if we're not your kids, you, you don't try to hold us to all the rules. And yet, even though this is so freeing, it's hard for us to understand because sometimes we have been um, presented or taught to relate to you in a different way. And so would you help us this week to navigate through all that and to clear some of that aside and begin to understand that relationship is what matters most to you and that you invite us not into a work setting, not into a fraternity or sorority setting, not into an in-law setting. You invite us into a family. And it's possible because of Jesus' death and his resurrection for us. We thank you for that. In his name we pray. Amen.